Amen. This morning, I want to make a case to you that we are to be joyful Christians, not subservient, mournful, sad Christians. I feel like I'm going to be moving a little bit this morning, so I think I'm going to get excited and stirred up. Hopefully you will too. We're going to be in John uh, 15 this morning. Today I want to talk to you about the fullness of joy. How to have the fullness of joy. You could say a recipe for joy. What is the recipe for joy? If we look at John 15, I'm going to read it out of a couple different uh, versions as we go. Um, starting in the NLT, which is my favorite version. Um, we'll read it in the New King, King James Version a little bit later, or even in a minute here, actually. Reading it out of my Bible, John 15, verses 11. I remember why I don't read it of this again, because the print's so small. I have told you these things so that you'll be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. In the New King James Version, and, and it's worth mentioning, and we'll come back to this, this is found uh, in a passage where Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches, and we'll get into that a little bit, a little bit later. Um, but this is coming in the middle of, for many of us, what is a very well-known passage of the vine and the branches. In the New King James Version, it says uh, that I have told you this is this, sorry, I have told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I have told you this so that not my joy, but his joy may be in me or us, and that our joy may be complete, that our joy would be complete. Another version says, uh, have the fullness of joy. That's actually a New King James Version. The version I just read was NIV, to get it straight in my mind. So the New King James says, how to have the fullness of joy. Do you know that joy is the birthright of a child of God? Did you know that? Every child of God ought to have conscious joy. Every child of God ought to have conspicuous joy as opposed to inconspicuous. Joy is the birthmark or the birthright of a child of God. And let me tell you something. If you're not living a life of joy, you're living beneath your privilege as a child of God. You're living beneath it. It's so vital to who we are, to 
our identity of Christ. It's wrapped up in that. It's important because if we have that joy, we're exuding that joy. That's how we win the lost to Christ. If you want people to believe in the Savior that you speak of, then there needs to be this mark of authenticity in our lives. It's, it's a reality, especially in this day and age. People aren't interested in what you know. They're interested in how you act, who you are, that you're proving it out. The average show doesn't care about the Christian creed. They're not interested in our institutional organization that man has made of the church. They don't want that institutional organization. They want to know that what you're talking about, that this salvation experience has actually done something in our lives. That it's working in you and for you. To see that salvation experience, that continued relationship coming to the surface, there's nothing more attractive to people than that. There's nothing that's going to attract them more to the Lord Jesus Christ than seeing how he's actually active in our lives. I don't know about you, but I have no interest in being involved in a joyless church or joyless church service. Stagnant, that's rudimentary, that's just kind of doing the same thing every single Sunday and reciting the same verse. Um, I'm not interested in rigid liturgy um, or religious goings on. And I think many Christians, not just in our own church, but maybe there's some of us in our own church, have got this idea that as Christians we need to be sad and somber because that's, quote, dignified. But the problem is with those people, they don't know the difference between dignify and dead. I'm not trying to be mean, I'm not trying to be rude or unkind, but you look at the fruit of some people's lives, and you say, where is the joy in your life? What has happened? Are, is your Christian heart still beating? The reality is, the scriptures say, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's what? There's freedom. There's joy, there's peace. The psalmist said that we're to serve the Lord with what? Gladness. That too, though. Gladness is where, what I was looking for. You know, sometimes, honestly, I get tired of the work of being a pastor. It's not just a calling. A lot of times, listen, I'm in here 40 to 60 hours in the community or in this church a week, some weeks it's more than that, it gets tiring doing the work. No doubt about it. 
But I tell you what, I never get tired of doing the work. Or sorry, I get tired while, while doing the work, but I never get tired of the work. I never get tired of what God has called me to. The Bible says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Is the joy of the Lord your strength? I feel sorry for someone who tries to carry the burdens and the loads of life and they don't have the joy of the Lord to put a spring in their step, to put a beat in their heart, to put a smile on their face, even in the crappiest of times, to thank God for the joy, the real joy that he gives. And I'm talking from experience, folks. I've been through the ringer a time or two. Man, not to have a woe is me Pity Graham party, but man, I've experienced some crap in my life. Some times where things really, really were tough mentally. Things were tough spiritually. Sometimes when, when, when really tough things happen, sometimes, although God isn't ever truly distanced from us, you can say, God, where are you right now? That's a normal thing. But I can also tell you that in the worst seasons of my life, I knew the joy of the Lord was my strength. And that wasn't an accident. That wasn't in happenstance. That wasn't by mistake that it was just like, what? The joy of the Lord is still with me. Who knew? If we go back to that verse, John chapter 15, verse 11. I'm going to read it again. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that you may be complete. Now, first of all, I want you to notice this morning the source of our joy. He says, I have told you this so that my joy, meaning Jesus, may be in you. Let's look at that specific phrase, my joy. The joy that you have as Christians is not simply yours that's self-made. The joy of the Lord is not something that we can just conjure up in the moment to kind of sugarcoat over rough things. He says, my joy not a joy that's like his. You're literally, as Christians, have the source of joy. The source being Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus wants to take the joy that he has, and he wants it to be present, a constant, in all of us. Now, perhaps you've thought of Jesus as a man of sorrows. I mean, we just talked about the suffering that he went through this morning. You never thought of Jesus as a Jesus of joy. But in this 
main verse that we're focusing on this morning, he talks about his joy. Forget about what I just said about him giving thanks to God for what he was about to give through. That's not someone who's miserable. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm about to get nailed to a cross. Thanks, God. That's awesome. This is a great day. That's not natural, right? Or maybe you really like pain. The Bible says that we are to rejoice in the Lord. In the book of Hebrews, Hebrews, the first chapter, it says concerning the Lord Jesus, that God has anointed him with the oil of what? Gladness, joy, above his fellows. You may not know this, but the word gladness, when you, when you go to source scripture, uh, in, in original language, the word literally in the original meaning means, excuse me, to leap, to jump for joy. And if you think, in Elizabeth, think about Elizabeth, who was the mother of John the Baptist, when she came to greet Mary, and both of them had their wombs quite full at that time, it says in Luke 14 that the baby that was in Elizabeth's womb leapt. It leapt for joy in the presence of the Son of God. And that's the same word that translates here in Hebrews chapter 1 that we just read, that God anointed Jesus with the oil of joy, leaping for joy. It's the exact same word. So what's the idea? What's the idea here? It's that the joy that Jesus has is so exuberant and so full that he literally makes people leap for joy. Jump for joy. Don't have this idea about Jesus that he's some pale, sanctimonious recluse. He is the total opposite. Apples and oranges, night and day, black and white from that. Jesus was a person whose life was full of real joy. Not fleeting happiness, but real joy. One could say Jesus was literally the life of the party. Literally the life of the pride. He literally brought life. He didn't come to bring death or mourning or sadness. He's come to bring life. Jesus didn't say, I've come to invite you to a funeral. Now let's all mourn life. Oh, sad, sad, sad. He came to invite us to a feast. What I'm simply trying to say this morning is there something about Jesus Christ? There was such a joy about him. And he is the source of joy. Where's joy to be found? Is joy going to be found in money? No, that's happiness. Jay Gold, an American millionaire, said when he was dying, 
I am the most miserable man on earth. There's no joy to be found in money. Is joy to be found in pleasure? Lloyd Byron, a playboy of his day, wrote, My days are in the yellow leaf, the canker and the grief are mine alone. There's no joy to be found in pleasure, just fleeting happiness. Is it to be found in fame? Lord Baconsfield, who was an individual of his time who was very famous, described his life in this way. Youth was a blunder. Maturity is a struggle. Old age is regret. He had fame, but he didn't have joy. Fleeting happiness. Where is joy to be found? Is it to be found in unbelief? Francis Marie Arette, who was a French Enlightenment writer, is also a historian, a philosopher, and an atheist, before he died, said, I wish I had never been born. What a sad way to pass away. Joy is only to be found in the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. You're only going to find true joy, true satisfaction in life through Christ. There's a confusion in our world where we intermingle and interwove the word joy and happiness and think that they're the same. But they're completely different. Completely different. Happiness is an emotion. Emotions change from moment to moment, hour to hour, second to second. I think of when uh, it was just the three of us, Lincoln, Janelle, and I, how quiet our household was then. So much sleeping, so much happiness I got from sleeping. I came home from work one day. This is while we were living in Truro. And uh, we had even less little money than we have currently. And uh, I had this pride and joy that I bought with a tax refund, a 55-inch plasma TV, Panasonic, the best TV Money could buy, in my opinion. I was so happy to be off work, come home, eat a yummy meal, and uh, relax and play some video games on my TV. When I came through the door, my whole world <laughs> fell out from under me. As I realized that Lincoln, he was like, two years old at this, this stage, had taken a colander, like one of those things that you get water off your vegetables or pasta. He had taken it out of the kitchen drawer, wandered over to the TV, and went whack on my plasma TV. And uh, so I came to the, the door, and uh, Janelle said, I've been waiting all day for you to come home. I said, oh, that's sweet. She said, no. I want to tell you this, but Lincoln broke your TV. So I wandered over, turned it on, and you know what a broken TV looks like. You spider webs going everywhere and weird colors that you didn't know your TV should even be able to make. Talk about switching happiness to 
anger, sadness, a mix of confusion. Happiness is fleeting, folks. We don't know what we're going to encounter from day to day, from moment to moment in life and how things are going to change. The joy of the Lord is so much different than that. I'm not asking you to have your joy or get joy in things around you. I'm not saying that hopefully you're hearing that, that you can find that joy elsewhere. What I am saying is we can rejoice in the Lord. He is a source of our joy. If we look at John 17, verse 13, for a moment, you don't need to turn there. Jesus is praying for us, and he says, I am coming to you now, but I am saying these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I'm going to read that one more time. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that you may have the full measure of my joy within you. Isn't that beautiful? That I may have the full measure of joy within me. Secondly, I want you to notice that not only, not, sorry, I want you to not only notice the source of our joy, but I also want you to notice the stability of this joy. I said a minute ago, that's the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is an emotion that changes from moment to moment, but there's stability to found the joy that comes through serving Jesus Christ. If I read that verse one more time, I'm going to read it in the New King James Version this time. These things I have written unto you that my joy might remain, that your joy may be full. That my joy might remain not fade away, might remain. The Bible says rejoice in the Lord when it, when it feels good, right? Rejoice in the Lord when, when things are going good, right? Is that what it says? Rejoice in the Lord always. Man, I'm funny. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say be sad. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Not just rejoice, but rejoice forevermore. Keep on rejoicing. Jesus says here that you might remain. That joy is constant within you. That it doesn't fade or pass away. He doesn't, it didn't disappear with his death that it would remain. Now, I'm not saying that we all go around constantly with smiles on our face. I'm not asking us to fake it till we make it. There's nothing attractive about that. Frankly, talking to friends of mine who used to go to church, part of why they don't go to church and they don't want to do anything, they don't want to have anything to do with church is because they felt like Christians were fake. 
Christians weren't able to be honest when they were struggling at times. And they just always walked around with this attitude of, I'm so happy, I'm so righteous, I'm so better than the world. They, the world wants to us to be honest. I was reading the other day about this little girl who uh, lives in Winnipeg, Canada. Somehow she didn't freeze to death. And she entered a contest. She really wanted to see how long she could smile. And she wanted to break the Guinness World Record for smiling. So she smiled as long as she could. The previous record was at 7 hours and 32 minutes. That's a long time of smiling. Talk about fake it till you make it. Someone had held that record until this little girl, Lisa, came along. Lisa? Lisa was able to smile, get this, 10 hours and 5 minutes. That's a long time. I wondered, though, like 10 hours, 5 minutes. Like, why not just 10 hours? Like, what happened at that five-minute mark? Like, why all of a sudden she was like, I'm not smiling. Ten, min- ten hours, five minutes. Ten. I'm not happy anymore. That was enough happiness in my life for one day. I almost smiled for 12 hours straight. That's crazy. I'm done being happy. But friends, there's a difference between joy and smiling. You can smile for perhaps 10 hours and 5 minutes, then that smile will leave your face. But I want to tell you, even when the tears are coursing down your cheeks, there can be joy in our hearts. I said, the, I said last week to couple over here. I said, I always cry when I preach. Almost always cry when I lead worship. Start to tear up right there speaking about that because I'm thinking back in my mind to what God has done in my own life. And I just have such immense gratefulness and thankfulness for that that I can't help but get emotional about what he's done for me. And I hope that you can experience that in your own life. This joy is a joy that will never leave you. Jesus was facing the cross when he spoke of his joy. And he said, these things have I spoken to you that your joy may remain. Now, why does it remain? It seems contrary to logic, right? Well, you see, the consistency of your joy is linked to the source of your joy. And if the source of your joy is in things, those things will fail you. There goes your joy. But if the source of your joy is external and based upon, well, external slash internal, because we have that interesting, complex relationship with Christ, based upon what remains that is immortal, then the source will be constant. If your joy is an amusement and you can no longer amuse amuse yourself, your joy is gone. 
If your joy is out of your business and your business fails, your joy is gone. If you get joy from being healthy or from fitness and you can no longer do that, there goes the joy. Well, these are the places that you're getting joy and they cease to exist, then your joy is gone. And if that's the case, then you need to fix the source. What I'm getting at is the fact that Jesus never changes. Jesus is always there and that there is always a reason for your joy to remain, that your joy can be steadfast and nothing can take that away from me. I want to pause quickly. I want to address something. I think this is important. And recognize that there is a reality of sorrows in our life. And don't think that I'm saying that you shouldn't experience sorrow, that you shouldn't allow yourself to grieve. You shouldn't allow yourself to feel hurt and pain when someone else does you wrong or something happens. It's part of humanity. Even Jesus himself experienced sorrow in his life. But I'm trying to help you understand who Jesus truly is. That you can once again go to that source, find that source of joy in your own life. Maybe it's been, it's been a while since you've truly experienced the joy of the Lord. So you can revisit that relationship that maybe you've been neglecting. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 3, God gives us the oil of joy for mourning. That means in the time of mourning, in the time of brokenheartedness, that God is there to pour out the oil of his joy upon us. Thank you, God. And Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 20, Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Not may, will turn to joy. It's good news, folks. It's good news. So what I'm trying to say is that this joy, this joy that Jesus gives us is steadfast in that time of sorrow. His sovereignty continues. But it's not only steadfast in sorrow, it's triumphant in tribulation. You get that? Not only are you going to have sorrow, but you're going to have times of tribulation. I mean, it's going to get tough. Jesus said, in this world, you shall have tribulation. But let me read to you what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4. He said, Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with the comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all your tribulations. I am exceedingly joyful in all your tribulations. This is the exact same Paul who made the choice to sing the praises of God in a Philippian jail. Philippine jail, sorry, not Philippian. 
Philippine jail with rats and vermin and sewage all around him, which is the reality of a jail in that day. He said at midnight, I'm going to sing praises to God to be joyful in the midst of my tribulation. This is a joy, this joy I'm talking about is steadfast. This is a stability of joy. I'm saying it's a steadfast joy. I'm saying that there is triumph in our tribulation. I'm saying that it is abundant in affliction. If I read another verse, 1 Thessalonians verse, sorry, chapter 1, verse 6, this is what Paul said. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You're going to have affliction. It's okay. It's a reality. But the joy that Jesus speaks of in John 15, it remains. It's steadfast in sorrow, triumphant, triumphant in tribulation, and it is don't just take me at my word for it, but try it for yourself. Abundant in afflictions. Afflictions are going to come, they're going to go, but Jesus, I guarantee you, is going to remain. I'm not saying that the afflictions are good or they're going to be fun. I'm not trying to minimalize the sorrow, the tribulation, the afflictions that we're going to experience. I'm trying to maximize in your mind the reality of the joy which remains through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. I'm trying to show you that there is on offer to you joy through relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me skip forward closer to the end, and everyone says amen. I want you to notice one more thing. Not only do we know the source of that joy, not only have we learned that there's a stability of that joy, but let me read this passage one more time. These things I have spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and your joy might be full. I want you to see, finally, the sufficiency of this joy. Fullness of joy. All that we need is in Jesus Christ. Not like, I don't mean like physically. Of course, we need water, air, food, sleep, that sort of thing. Psalm 16, verse 11. This is a good one. Listen up. You have shown me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Thank you, God. First, first Peter, verse 1, 8 speaks of those of us who rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Is this speaking about you this morning? Do you recognize yourself in this? Maybe you say, I feel like I'm missing something here. It's okay. That's the first step, recognizing I'm missing something. I need more. I need to take a step towards the Father. Fullness of joy is found in Christ. 
See, let me tell you about Jesus. Not only is Jesus necessary to life, Jesus is also enough. Do you agree with me? Jesus is enough. Do you believe that? Jesus is enough for me. In everything that I go through in life, Jesus is and always will be enough for me. People are always searching. St. Augustus put it well when he said, Our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. So there it is, the sufficiency of our joy. It's not just mere joy. It is fullness, completeness of joy. So what's the secret of this joy? It's not a secret. You don't have to solve a code. You don't need to spy behind enemy lines to figure out what in the world do I need to do to get there? I said when we started, I'd mentioned that this was part of a chapter about the vine and the branches. So we're going to back up quickly. Jesus used an analogy in this chapter saying, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Then in verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, and we are the branches. You are the branches. And that doesn't make a lot of sense to us in these days. Most of us don't have vineyards and, and that sort of thing. But it was very common in his day and age. And so he was using something that those people would understand, that they connect to their own vineyards, their own personal lifestyle. He's saying that my relationship to you and your relationship to me, this is Jesus, is to be relationship of a branch and a vine. I'm not talking about you and me, I'm talking about Jesus and you and me. A branch is absolutely dependent on the vine. If you cut the branch from the vine, what happens? It dies. It's good for nothing but fire, compost. You see, you do, you, we, you and I, do not understand just how dependent we need to be on Jesus. And I think for some of us, we may have forgotten. I'll be straight up. I go through times in my life where I become too dependent on Graham Power. Man, and do, boy, do I notice the difference in my life when I do that. Maybe you can relate with that. The branch is absolutely dependent on the vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Period. That's the end of the sentence. You see, we must depend on him. Are you depending on him totally in your life? Absolutely. Are you depending upon him? Are you resting in him? 
can a branch produce fruit on its own? The branch bears grapes, it bears fruits, a fruit, different types of plants, fruit trees produce different types of fruit. But there's a specific fruit that I want us to look at quickly. Anyone here heard of something, a little something called the fruit of the spirit? The fruit of the spirit. We're not going to go all over them all. We got love. What's the next word? Oh, what's the chances? Joy. It's what we're talking about this morning. That's what Jesus said, that my joy may be in us, in me. Well, how does that joy get out of him into me? Do I have to, like, hook up an IV? No, it's because when I'm in union, when I'm in communion with him, my life is blended with his life, and his life is infused into me. Can you say that about yourself with Jesus this morning? And so you see, when there's absolute dependence, then... There's fullness of joy. But wait a minute. In order for their dependence and restfulness, something has to happen before that. Surrender. I mean, a branch doesn't have its own side issues. It's like, okay, just wait a minute. Just wait a minute, fine. We need to discuss this. Like, this has to happen. I want to do this, this, and this. Then, if you agree with that, then I'll produce grapes. Can we shake on that? No. It just exists. It is surrendered to what it is and who it needs to be surrendered to do what it needs to do. You need to understand that you are not your own. We were bought with a price. Therefore, therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, in all you do. Not in your best abilities. Get the keyboard turned on, please. Not in your best abilities, but rather in the best of Christ's abilities who resides in you and strengthens you through the Holy Spirit, through his word, through conversations with him, also known as prayer. You and I need to approach him as if, not as if, with the understanding that we belong to him exactly as a branch belongs to a vine. And I tell you, when you start to see your life in that way, when you start to view, view your, your relationship in that way, when you start abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ that way, you're going to find in your heart this, this miraculous joy, this steadfast joy. Because the joy of Christ, which is the life of Christ, 
It's going to be flowing out of Christ and into you when you make that ultimate decision of surrender. And so I started this morning by saying I'm making a case this morning that we as Christians are to be joyful, to be exuding joy. And so my biggest prayer this morning is that you heard what God was trying to say, that you would surrender to God. Will you stand, please? If you were if you are standing here this morning and you say, Man, I just I just feel like I don't have that that joy in me. Would the ministry team, the breakthrough team, please come to the front? If you say this morning that I just I just feel like I'm missing that. First I say to you, have you come to know Jesus? Have you accepted what Jesus has done? Accepted salvation. Salvation comes through Christ and Christ alone, through admitting of our sins, saying, Jesus, I accept what you've done for me, and I want to know you as my personal Lord and Savior. If you haven't done that this morning, that's the first step for you, to receive that joy. And you say, well, I've done that. But have you ultimately surrendered? To understand that the vine decide, desires to provide nutrients to you. Surrendered your time to know who Jesus is. In your daily, I mean daily life, surrendering that time to him. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work right now. God, I pray right now that nothing else would matter in our hearts but you. That you would, Holy Spirit, you would allow us to be honest with ourselves, to be vulnerable with you. And that you would bring a new surrender, Lord God, to our hearts, to our minds, a willingness to draw close to you, to abide in you so that we can experience the fullness of your joy in our lives. With every eyes, every all, all your eyes closed, no one looking around, just, just so everyone can feel comfort and privacy, I'll be the only one looking. If you say, I haven't, I haven't accepted what God has done, I want him to be my Lord, my Savior. Will you uh, raise your hand this morning? See, see you. More importantly, God sees you. And put your hands back down. Maybe, maybe you feel like you're in a different boat where, like, I've, I've done that but I'm lacking a desire to experience that fullness, that steadfastness in my life. Be honest with God. 
If you say, I need to surrender myself to the vine, raise your hand. God loves you so much. You know that? God loves you so much. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling, the love that the Father has for you, that he desires so much good for you. And so I encourage you this morning, if you're comfortable, that uh, as we bring our time to close, and I, I just lead us in a time of worship, to come forward and receive prayer. Or if you're not comfortable with that, don't rush out. But right where you're at, spend time with the Father. Spend time re-surrendering your life to Him. Or if it's for the first time, it's so simple. It's not a complicated formula. Admit your sins before God. Understand that Jesus has died on the cross from, for you. And it's through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone that we can receive eternal life. And accept that for yourself. Seek after him this morning. If you need to slip out, no pressure to stay. But uh, I certainly encourage, encourage you to dwell in the presence of Almighty God this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forevermore. With endless days, we will sing Your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, our God. If you want prayer, feel free to come forward. Oh, praise the name of the Lord.